Howdy, and welcome to the Aggie Greats podcast. My name is Kenner, and I'm so glad you joined us this week as we dive deep to understand what makes the great great. Here on Aggie Greats, we get real as we answer some tough questions and uncover transformative ways to live life to the fullest. We're so glad you're along for the journey, so let's pursue greatness. Well, howdy and welcome back to the Aggie Greats podcast. Today we are joined with a very special guest, BJ Hendler. BJ works with American Lumber. His whole family has been running the company for 30 years. He is an Aggie class of 2000 and just has such a big heart for giving back to communities, giving back to people, promoting education. So BJ, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Something I ask every guest on the podcast when we start out is what's the best piece of advice you've ever received? Well, ooh, never go to bed mad, which is much easier said than done. <laughs> you start the day right the following day because mm. if you go to bed ticked off about something, you're going to wake up ticked <laughs> off about it. And I shouldn't be preaching this because I'm not real good at it, but it's good advice. Sometimes I've been able to do it. It helped me. <laughs> <laughs> something that is really cool about your story that uh, a lot of people, I, I think you have a really unique story with how you ended up here at a and Can you kind of walk us through uh, that experience and what that journey was like when you first came here. So it started, I guess, when I was a little bitty. Dad would bring us to bonfires. Dad had a saber in his closet from his wow. days in the Corps. And before I'd go to bed in the evenings, I'd most nights could talk him into pulling it out and let me swing it around like I knew what I was doing. <laughs> and my whole life, I just wanted to be in the Corps. That's just what I wanted. And I, I had a sidestep. My high school grades didn't get me into, into A&M my freshman year, so... I went to a junior college, had my sights set on a 3-5 so I could get to A&M, did it without an issue. And then when I got to A&M, I joined the Corps as a fish Mm. rather than a sophomore, so I'd get my four full years of being in the Corps. Do you have any experiences that were really uh, life-changing your freshman year? As it relates to real life today, I have said many times to many people that what I use today in my four years at A&M comes more out of being in the Corps Mm. and that freshman year, learning to get over adversity. Most most kids, when they show up to A&M, have not been challenged mm-hmm. the way the Corps does your freshman yeah. year. You have to be organized. You have to be on time. There's there's a high level of expectation that year, and if you don't meet those expectations, then there is a consequence. Did you come in with the mindset of wanting to go straight military? So Dad did. Dad took his contract, mm-hmm. and I don't know that I really knew what I was going to do when I showed up. Yeah. I just wanted to be in the Corps, and at some point during that four years, I decided that the military was not a next step for me mm-hmm. and did not take my contract. But my wife and I were just, just visiting on this in the past week. We were on a, a military base and how much fun the military life is yeah. on base. And we were just talking about that would have really been great for she and I. And it wasn't meant to be for us, but just last week we were talking about that. Yeah, you guys met here at a and if I'm not No, we right. met in high school. Oh, you met so in high school. Okay. I've known her mom and her dad and most of her aunts and uncles longer than I've known her. <laughs> we moved to a small town in South Texas in, in the mid-'80s, and in do- so doing, my mom was a school teacher, and mm. she had to find us a dentist. Well, the dentist she chose and his dental hygienist are my in-laws today. So uh, <laughs> she and awesome. I didn't meet till she caught up with me in high school, and she was a few years behind me, and it wasn't until we were in high school at the same time that we actually met. That's awesome. So, I mean, it all works out, right? That's right. <laughs> That's um, awesome. If she was here, she would tell you I spent a lot of time chasing her. <laughs> I, I don't know how much truth in that. My, my memory's fading. <laughs> 
sounds like it's more she was chasing you. But that's uh, the way I like to tell the story. But if whatever keeps you happy, happy, that's right. Happy wife, happy life. That's exactly right. <laughs> that's awesome. So you're figuring this relationship hey, thing out already. You know, I'm trying to I'm trying to figure it out. It's the one of the most complicated things <laughs> in the world, from what I hear. Yes, it is. Well, then go on and have three daughters like I did. Oh and, my gosh! And just give up after that. You will never understand it. The second you think you did, you will be proven wrong. Are you brainwashing them currently to come so, here? Or? Great question. My eldest daughter is at A&M now. Awesome. And she wanted to leave hometown like everybody did when they grew up, graduate high school, yeah. I want to go see the world. This is not the biggest of towns that we live in. And she finally narrowed it. She looked at, at schools all over the country, but narrowed it down to here in TCU, forced me to go on a TCU <laughs> tour. And remember, I grew up in the Southwest Conference, oh, so TCU might as well just shy of being a Longhorn. <laughs> and... uh begrudgingly her mother and I went on this campus tour and fell in love with the school yeah and it came down to us being asked by Madeline my eldest daughter our eldest daughter what do I do and I couldn't give her a choice I couldn't say do one or the other we yeah. were excited about both and in the end she she chose A&M so right yes choice. they go to the football <laughs> games yes they were raised as Aggies but if they want to spread their wings and go somewhere other yeah. than Lubbock or Austin I'll probably support it. Yeah. I think that's an important way to approach those types of things. I mean, obviously guiding in, and it's tough to be in a position where you can have such an influence. My dad did something similar. My dad didn't come here to A&M. He went to Trinity. They, they kind of were like, all right, we want you somewhere in Texas. But at the same time, they wanted us to explore and to, sure. to make our own decisions. And I think when you are able to say, I picked that school instead of like, I did this because my family did it or whatnot. That gives you kind of ownership of the culture and ownership of the community that you have here at AM, which I think is so special. Being here, my whole dream was to play for AM. I've wanted to do that since I was 10. I was coming to the tennis camps here. I've probably spent more time on these courts than anybody in college tennis uh, just throughout the years. But, you know, to put on the maroon and white is something really special. Absolutely. And for you to be a part of the core and to understand the legacy. You worked your way up through the Corps to become a battalion commander, correct? correct? I didn't plan on it. There's actually a longer story that I won't bore you with, but was selected to interview for the position, got the position, and and that was that. But I also want to point out that I truly don't think I would have finished A&M if I had not been in the Corps. Mm. As you got into your junior and senior yeah. classes, they become much more interesting. Right. But studying was not something that I found to be very important in my life and didn't do well at all my first semester at A&M. Right. When I got in the, in the groove, I turned it around, but... It was that drive of the core and going from one year to the next and the things that change in your life and doing so that, mm -hmm. that I really attribute to me graduating yeah. from A&M. Maybe I would have, maybe I wouldn't have, but the core had a large effect on that. Yeah. It's the camaraderie, I think, is, it is the big piece of it. It's the same thing here where we have those 6 a.m. workouts and we're like, gosh, this is the worst. Why am I here? All my other college friends are sleeping and right. partying and I've got a match the next day. We leave Thursday for California again. Or go, 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 right. go. Core is the exact same thing. I have so much respect for the military. Even if even if they decide, hey, I'm, the military is not where I want to go. Being a battalion commander, that's a huge responsibility. What principles do you use to ensure that you're holding people to that standard? Well, first, you have to have leadership around you that you can trust with, mm. with every aspect of your business. There are certain things that myself, my my siblings are really good at in business, and there's things that in our business that we're not as well-versed in, so you better yeah. hire somebody that's better than you <laughs> at that point. And and the key, whether it be in the core, whether it be in, in volunteering, whether it be in business, is to 
one, realize that we're all replaceable. Mm-hmm. As, as irreplaceable as you may think you are, you yeah. are replaceable. Mm-hmm. And, and so you've got to bring that next generation up to do the jobs that they're hired to do yeah. and trained and cross-trained. And that that's a cliche almost because it's very difficult to do in the real world. Yeah, of course. But it's something you have to have constant focus on. If, you, if the next generation is not better than your generation in leadership, mm-hmm. then the company in this case would falter. Yeah, that's so true. When you're looking as a battalion commander, one of the biggest things, I mean, you were here, class of 2000, you were here during bonfire, which right. I know is something that as a current student today, we see the bonfire memorial and it's beautiful. And I, I was on the executive team for Traditions Night, which is okay. basically like fish camp, but for student athletes, it's a student athlete's first tradition. We spend time talking about the different memorials that we have here at AM, the different cheers and traditions and bonfire every time we go there it's so sacred but you were actually there and that's something that as a student we feel very far removed from can sure. you start talking about the significance of it and why it's so important that aggies remember an event like that sure so the the bonfire itself as a freshman sophomore and junior and we went through all the way through cut our senior year was really just something you did. You didn't think about it at the time. Yeah. You, you look back at, at my my age and, and you realize the camaraderie and the team building that was going on. You're too young and dumb to realize it in real life as it's happening. So you go through all this, four years of it, and then the fourth year, is, as you know, in 99 it fell. Now, our battalion had come off at midnight. It, it didn't fall for another few hours, but you didn't realize how important that tradition was until in a moment it's gone. Yeah. And, and so you look back, we cut all those trees with, with axes. Once they were on the ground, they would use chainsaws to cut the ends mm-hmm. off, but you cleared all the brush around the trees and you went out there every weekend and filthy, dirty, worn out. You were tired from the week yeah. before. You had another full week coming up and that may have attributed to my grades that first semester. I don't know. There may be a, <laughs> a little correla- bit. <laughs> it may be a correlation there. I don't know. But from there, if the, the tragedy hadn't happened, you would look back on it much differently than than we do now and and so it was one of those things when it did happen you're trying to process something you've never in most instances most of us have never processed anything right. like that and and it hung with you for a long time it it showed you what the traditions and the camaraderie and the friends you made at A&M really were mm-hmm. i don't know of another school that has even close to the traditions we have so therefore i don't know of another school that could have or would have reacted in the way that our community, our Aggie community did. Yeah, man. I, I think and being inside the core, it's probably even different from, from a normal student because it's a highly core. I mean, the core sets up sure. pretty much the whole thing. There was a lot of what we call non-regs, mm-hmm. people that were not in the core that were involved in bonfire as well, probably right. more than you realize. And, and so there was a constant big brother, little brother, back and forth, and, and it, it created just a fun, fun environment. That's awesome. How long does it take to set it up usually? Like when, when do you start planning and placing those first couple logs? Wow, you're going you're gonna to start making me be wrong here. It was, I'm going to guess it started in late September, early October, Wow. and then it burned Thanksgiving weekend, and, and you were putting the final touches on it the day before it right. burned, and then the night of, it, they, they doused it with, aviation fuel. Jeez. I remember our, our throats burning from it, breathing <laughs> it. They'd bring our big truck out, they'd spray it down and and then they would light it, you know, it'd have a yell practice and it was just a really fun evening. I, I know you watched The Burning Desire, yeah. um, which is twelfth man productions right. and my wife and I have as many college kids over as we can find because, as you just said, you weren't even born right. when it fell. And and so in, in November each year my 
my wife makes them all dinner and we watch that burning desire a little over an hour movie yeah. that or documentary that i recommend everybody watch yeah and you mentioned something really cool that you have the the casings that they shot off after the bonfire collapse correct, yeah, correct. so at, at midnight yell that night mm -hmm. they fired the the 50 millimeter cannon that you see at the game yeah. they fired it 12 times for each of the 12 aggies that died and something came over me i was on the track i i took the 12 casings and uh, we worked them through the the inventory system to where they weren't missing any longer. Yeah. And the idea originally was to get them back on campus, and that just for a number of reasons has not happened. Mm. Maybe it does someday, but they're each mounted in a mahogany box now wow. and a glass a glass top and three side glass, and each of the individuals' name on one of the casings. That's so special. What were the emotions the football game after bonfire collapsed? You know, I don't, I don't remember. You'd been through a long week at that point. Yeah. There'd been a number of funerals that we had all attended. There'd been a number of memorials all over the state of Texas that we'd been asked to attend off and on. And we tried to get to as many as possible. The last burial was in Turlock, California. That was Jeremy Frampton, who was a year behind me. He was class of 99. Uh, we get back to, to campus with probably 24 hours. It, it all kind of in my memory fades, but 24 hours till we had to, we had midnight yell. The first big emotion of any type of relief would have been the uh, the winning catch of that football game. If the bonfire hadn't happened, we'd probably lose that game. We were not picked to win that game all season long. Yeah. And so there was some energy in that stadium that you couldn't have put there any other way. Unfortunately, yeah. right. it was there. But the the yell was very somber that night. It was it was a somber event, mm -hmm. as was a great deal of the game. But my wife now, fiance at the time, we were on the front row in the northeast corner of, of Kyle Field on the east side, but kind of behind the, the Longhorn bench, and everybody just flooded over the sides at the end of that. Oh my gosh. Just one of those amazing experiences yeah, that you'll you'll never get to relive again. That's that's an amazing experience, and you don't realize what you have until it's gone. And sure. I think that as college students, we kind of miss a lot of that. I think we kind of feel like we're invincible. We've got our whole life ahead of us. I've had teammates who their aspirations are set on playing professional tennis, mm -hmm. and then in an instant, you tear something, you break a leg, you get in a car accident, and that dream's gone. And as Aggies, having that that resilience of one, not just being resilient for yourself, but also being resilient for those people around you, people who are going through tough times. And I think that A&M has a really special community here where we're able to bring people together and look to the guys to our left and to our right and help them up. And I think that that, correct me if I'm wrong, that's something that's really emphasized within the core. Absolutely. And, and you know, hats off to the bonfire didn't burn for again, a long time ago, two or three years. And you got these kids on campus that said, no, we're doing this thing. Yeah. And hats off to them because had they gone very long, it never comes back. Mm -hmm. Too much would have been lost with people graduating and leaving yeah. campus that were a part of it. And so hats off to those kids that originally said, no, we're going to keep doing this yeah. thing. And and that says something to A&M. I see why A&M's not going to have it a sanctioned event any longer. Right. I, I get their point. Mm -hmm. But there was a bunch of hard-headed Aggies that said, well, we'll just do it our own way. Yeah. And, and they kept that tradition alive as much as anybody could have possibly asked right. in, in doing so. And well, the student bonfire, that happened last weekend. Right, and that's, yeah, yeah. it got delayed this year because of weather right. um, before the game. But we made it happen. That's right, <laughs> and and it burned. And yeah. so I think that that's part of, of this surrounding yourself with Aggies, as you were pointing mm -hmm. out, of like-minded people. And when there's a task at hand that has to be done, you just pick up and go do it. Right, 
that's yeah, I love that. So coming out of A and M, you graduated in two thousand. You got your ring on your finger. That's right. Like, okay, what in the world am I going to do next? For you, what was that process like, and how did you decide what you wanted to do coming out of college? Sure. So. There was a pit stop. The Corps sent me to Korea for several weeks. Really? And from there, so back then there was a travel called travel agencies. I don't know if you even know what that is. <laughs> but no you called them and they booked your flights. They booked oh, your yeah. hotels for you and you, they charged you a fee to do it. So A&M says, call this travel agency, booked your flights to Korea. There were several of us going. And they said, well, when do you want to come home? And I realized in that question that I could come home whenever I wanted. Mm. I had graduated. So I flew myself to Australia and I backpacked Australia that summer. <laughs> my fiance, again, now my wife, she joined me. We stayed in hostels and That's so and just had a great summer and came back out of money and it's time to get to work. Yeah. My dad had founded a lumber distribution and manufacturing company in the mid 80s. And there was some talk of going to work for him. And honestly, I didn't want to move back to my hometown. Right. Uh, it's a recurring kind of theme. Yeah, yeah. I'm still in my early 20s, and I want to see the world. Right. And we looked at, at a number of options around Texas, and I did want to go to work for the, mm -hmm. the family business. I had spent a good bit of time working with my father in Mexico in, in middle school. He had manufacturing locations across the border. Mm -hmm. And so at, I said, Dad, let's let's look at this here in Bryan. Let's, let's open up a... A, what we call a remanufacturing facility where you take lumber and you turn it into something else in large quantities. Mm -hmm. And I said, Brian's in the center of all the metropolitan areas in Texas. I said, let's look at this. And we played around with it, looked at it, and that's what we ended up doing. Wow. And it led my brother, who was four years behind me in the Corps. So Are we was, talking about Joe? Joe, yes. Okay, Joe. He was a freshman. as I, and When I came out of a &M, he was going into his freshman year. And so it led to him doing the same thing for a facility for us in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, oh, when yeah. he got out. We weren't in the SEC, or otherwise we probably wouldn't have picked Tuscaloosa at the time. <laughs> so when you're dealing with family, when you're dealing with your, your dad, your brother, your sister, how do you manage conflict within a high-performance company like what you built? So my dad, believe it or not, had my sister, and I. my, my sister is much older than me, hoping she hears that. <laughs> There may be, a, I may be stretching the truth a little bit, but she is old. <laughs> he, he had my sister and I going to family succession planning courses on the weekends in mm -hmm. college. Let me tell you how unexciting that was. That sounds very exciting. You're, at least it was before the days of texting, so I didn't have to listen all night to what everybody else was getting to do while I wasn't. <laughs> but it was actually, uh, they, they were done in Houston by a group here from A&M, and my dad had gotten tied up with them, and at the time, you're thinking, this is worthless. It's not going to help me with the right. thing. But in hindsight, it helped us with a lot. At the time, my brother was in high school, so it was a little more than, than he was probably ready for in, yeah. in high school. But while that teed the ball up, it's maturity. Mm -hmm. And if if my family listens to this podcast, they're going to laugh when they hear me say that word. I'm probably the one most like my father, and and it took a lot of getting to know each other raised by him you think you know him you right. don't until you work side by side mm -hmm. every day and we don't have a lot of conflict and when we do it's it's more of a disagreement it's behind closed doors yeah. we work it out and carry on it's just what you have to do mm. for the betterment of the company what year did your dad graduate 71 71 okay wow I mean, for me, your Kyle Field looked very different than my Kyle oh, Field. Absolutely. And I know and their that Kyle Field looked even even dip, more exactly. different. Exactly. And I know that these tennis courts used to be over by the football field. Yes. And I mean, 
There so, was a rock parking lot on the on the south end of the, the tennis awesome. courts. And when you were a sophomore in the core, you earned the privilege to park in that rock parking lot. And that must have been like the best thing. <laughs> oh, absolutely. We weren't having to walk over here to West Campus it's, to park anymore. It's funny because everything is relative. You know, you're like, oh, man, I get to park there. For us now, it's like parking who cares but yeah. it's a big deal when you're a college it student was. especially on a campus with now 70,000 people and when you look back at those first couple years coming out of college you backpacked through Australia you're like all right we're gonna get to work here looking back what things do you wish you knew starting off coming out of college that you now know listen I'm not telling you to listen. I guess I am telling you to listen, but I wished I had listened at the time. <laughs> listen um, to the people around you? The people around you, especially those with more gray hair. They've got a lot of good advice that seems real dumb when you're young and full of energy. They lost that energy chasing those same rabbits that, that you're chasing <laughs> at that time. Yep. And while while new ways of looking at things are great, you uh, you can learn a lot from other people's mistakes. Mm, that's so true. I Something that I read this morning is a wise man is he who seeks counsel. Yeah. And I think you said this earlier on is being careful who's speaking into your life. I think it's really easy to just listen to everybody. I don't know how much you're on social media, but there are people all over social media just saying, hey, go do this. Go try this. Go start this business. Go do this. And it's really distracting. So being, yes, seeking counsel, I think, but also making sure that you know where that counsel's coming from. Absolutely, and at some point you have to learn to trust your instincts. Right. And and that can be really hard, especially when you're hearing from somebody that you really trust, but your instincts are telling you to go the other way, and, right. and you hone those instincts with time and oh, experience. Unfortunately, the honing comes from the mistakes yep. more so than the, than the wins, but being able to have those people in your life and being able to, I don't, I'm not into social media. Right. I'm, I'm not a fan of social media, but there are very, very few get rich quick schemes that work. Mm, yeah. So don't don't bother chasing them. Yeah. Focus on what it is you want to be good at, become the best at that and and the rest will fall in place. Yeah. When you're looking to bring people on to your American Lumber team or to the Hendler team, obviously you have an extremely high standard. And what characteristics are you looking for when you're trying to bring people onto your team into your circles where you're like these are the people that I trust, these are the people I look into. Sure. So what you're looking for, I guess, depends somewhat by the, the position you're trying yeah. to fill. I hope my HR doesn't hear this. <laughs> Can you keep her from hearing this part yeah, of the of segment? Um, we won't send it to them. <laughs> there, there you go. You, so you need like-minded, but in a general sense. Mm -hmm. if, if you become too like-minded in every aspect, you will become stagnant. Yeah. But you have to have people that want to be there as much as you want to be there every day. And we all have days that we drag ourselves to work right. or to tennis practice or to oh get up and run in the court. A lot of days. Yeah, <laughs> I get it. And you're going to have those the rest of your life. So you have to surround yourself with people that are going to bring you up on those days mm. and call you out. Yeah. When, when you're not being the person that you're supposed to be, you need to have people that, that are willing to call you out and say, hey, this isn't the way we do things. Right. And when you really get to the point we are and number of employees, the size of the company, that circle has grown for us. I tease my parents. They didn't have enough kids. So that circle has grown <laughs> yeah. to some very strong, strong people in our mm. company. And starting out, we didn't have the money to hire those type people that right. had that talent set. And now we've gotten to a point where we can, we can be selective in the ones we hire. And our leadership team is literally second to none in anybody I know out there. That's awesome. Talent attracts talent. Sure. And it's the same with any program that you have, whether it's a high performance team, if you have a tennis team or any team, a football team, why do the top teams keep winning over and over and over again? I think the coaching does definitely 
help with that. But I think a lot of it is the culture that they've developed. And it takes years to build a culture, years to build a reputation, and one second to destroy that's it. Right. And I think success will breed success. Right. And if you do it in a manner of, of doing things the right way, mm-hmm. holding yourself and those around you accountable for their actions and the things they're doing, and you don't ever falter from what your company culture is, yeah. you will continue to breed that success. And at every level in our company, we have wonderful people yeah. and who I think stood by us. It's knowing where you're trying to go and casting a vision of – hey, here's where we are now. That's where we're trying to be. And then pursuing that wholeheartedly, whether it's in dating, whether it's in business, whether it's in life, you want to be surrounding yourself with people. When we say like-minded, I think we get all caught up in, oh, we need diversity. Yes, that's important. Diversity is important. But it's much more about I'm running my race towards that finish line. I want people who are running at the same pace, if not faster than I am. Because that's the way that you get there. When people run a marathon, it's not like a constant sprint. It's it's a run. It's a constant nodding uh, towards a certain goal. And it's it's the same thing. If we treat life like a sprint, we're going to get burned out really, really quick. Sure. And you've got to stay within this lane. So you start talking about this diversity. And, you know, I won't go down that path today. Yeah. But you can be too diverse to meet a goal. Right. And And so you've got to find these, again, like-minded people that share that vision. Mm -hmm. And we may have different ways of getting to that goal, but that's what you're looking for. And as long as no person on the team is too proud to say, no, we're not going to try that, but we we have to be open to these new ideas. Right. I think that, yeah. I mean, I love talking about leadership on the podcast. It's something that I hope at some day to step into. And I mean, learning about it is so important. What, who, do you have somebody in your life who has really strongly influenced the way that you see leadership and the way you try to lead? So I've got, I've been fortunate to have a lot of people in my life that have given me solid advice, friends, people I have worked with, people that I have volunteered with. And, and so to pick one or two would be a disservice to the others. But I will mention that, that our, our father's determination is the only reason that we're doing what we are today. You talk about a person that does not give up, which it's both a good thing and a bad when you're his child. But <laughs> from a business standpoint, it's great. Yeah. When you're his child, it's, it's a little bit different at times. But I, it, I would give him the hats off to that. The others, I would be afraid I'd fend one of the, somebody else by not bringing them up. But that is back to surrounding yourself with just as many great people right. as you can and I in think, different facets. Yeah, and it, it's not like you learned everything from one person. Sure. You're surrounded by a strong community. You're surrounded by a lot of people who are pouring into you. And I guess you said kind of osmosis. I think that there is an emphasis here more than probably, I'm a little biased, but here more than anywhere else, it's so important to look around us and be like, hey, this isn't all about me. This isn't all about my journey, my path. I want to bring other people into this community and I want to help other people around me. And I don't know if that's something that you experienced, but within the courts, I mean, it's not about yourself. It's no, all about you won't survive it. You will yeah. not survive it if you're going to spend four years of it being about right. yourself. You probably don't survive the first semester. Of course. If that's the way you're going to go about it. But my parents and maybe some teachers in my past growing up would say that I, I maybe made some decisions in life that, that weren't the smartest at the time in my adolescence. But my dad used to always repeat time and time again to you never want to hear it again that you're known by the company you keep mm. and and uh, he's he's exactly right I didn't want to hear it didn't even fully understand it when he was yeah. saying it but what he was saying was you need to find different friends when, yeah. when he was saying it to me and and I can't tell you how right he was at yeah. the time I had no clue how right he was how do you find a balance between 
being really, really selective about the people that you're surrounding yourself with, but also putting yourself in situations where you can bring people up and help other people up. Because if you're constantly just like, I don't want to associate with those people, right. it's going to be very hard to to be a leader and to build community. How do you find that balance between these are my people, but I'm also trying to help others grow? So the first part of your question and advice I would give kind of goes back to that social media comment. The drama that goes on on social media that I have witnessed others go through, yeah. the people in your life you just don't have time for. Right. Some people recognize that and say, I'm not going to give my valuable time, which becomes even more valuable as you grow up yep. and get older and get out in the world and do the things you want to do. And being able to draw that line and realizing that somebody is bad for you or for your relationship with your wife is is very important. Yeah. The, uh, the bringing people up. So you and I spoke before about the importance of volunteering and giving mm. back. Uh, Dr. Bowman here at A&M, who's retired a few years ago, a long time in the School of Ag. I got out of A&M. He took me to a meeting to volunteer at the San Antonio Rodeo a couple hours a year. It won't be much. I'm already down there a lot anyway. This is easy. Yeah. And that's what it was until I kept moving up and, and taking on new volunteer positions down there. And it's become a lot more than, than two hours a yeah. year. And so in that case... And my family gives a lot for me to be able to do that. In that case, I believe in the mission. My, my wife believes in the mission. And that's to educate the youth of Texas. Mm. That's our mission there. And so through volunteering there, I, I recommend that anybody give back something. We all have a talent we can give back with, oh, yeah. whether it be an hour a month or, or weeks a year. It, it's important that we do that. Yeah. As Aggies, how can we pour in? Obviously, we're not necessarily in a financial position to... Sure provide resources? How can we as college students here at A&M help with that mission that you guys have? So you go find things to join. One of the first things I joined at A&M was the quarterback club here at A&M. And there was a customer that introduced me to a gentleman named Harry Green. Mr. Green was a, a pillar of this community, passed away just recently. Mm -hmm. And his buddy from A&M, who was a customer of mine, said, take this kid and go go put him in the quarterback club with you. And he did. He'd meet me there every week. And if, if I wasn't there, he wanted to know why. He'd take me to lunch, which, you know, free lunch at that age, I'd hey, take we'll it, take you it. know. <laughs> and and from there, I started meeting other people in the community. I'm brand new to the community outside of being an Aggie student. And and from there, I met just a lot of people that got me involved in a lot of different things and and showed me ways that you could, you could give back in the community, even if it was just for a weekend volunteerism. Yeah. Man, that's awesome. I think that whether it's focusing on education, whether it's focusing on how can we help these young students grow as leaders, giving back is so important. And from your standpoint, what inspired you to have such a passion and a drive to give back to these students or to give back to these young people in the community? So we get one chance to raise kids. As, as a parent, you get one chance, yeah. approximately 18 to 22 years at best, that you have to really raise them and be the kind of human being that, that we need in the world. And when you start looking at that, well, once they go to school, you're spending less time with them than the, than the educators are. Yeah. So you want to get them the best education that you can possibly get them. Right. And that there's so many kids out there that don't have the opportunity to go to college. Once they're past high school, they don't have that opportunity. And so my wife and I, we started recognizing that there was a huge void there that probably never goes away. I don't know that you could volunteer enough hours to, right. to make that void go away. But if you can affect just one or two students 
And if we all did that, then then the world changes. Yeah. But and you don't know who you affected and who you didn't. Truth That's be told, true. you you really don't. So all you can do is go in with your head up every day, work as hard as, as you possibly can at it, and know that you're affecting somebody's life. Man, that that really speaks to me a lot because that that thing that you said where you don't necessarily know how many people you're impacting. Sometimes the most memorable things that people share with me is I was just had an awful day and somebody came up and said, howdy, or somebody mm -hmm. came and just gave me a hug out of the random. And, and, you know, things like that happen. It's not necessarily just going over the top. I think we lose sight and we're like, oh, I can't help other people where I'm at because I'm not in a financial position. I'm not, I'm too busy. It's the small things. And I think that's something that in life we need to recognize is that it's not always about just going above and beyond. Sometimes we don't understand, like you said, the impact that we have in the moment. And that's something that's fostered later on into something where I set into motion something where they were able to help other people. And, you know, you can help one person and if we can help them grow, that person hopefully is like a ripple effect going out into the communities. Sure. That and our, you and I story of how we met follows right. that path. Exactly. And somebody we both just happen to know. But to get the most out of volunteering or giving back to your community, you can't care about the reward of getting to be pat on the back. You may get a pat on the back every now and then, but that's not what it needs to be about. Right. And if that's what you need and the reason you do it, more power to you. Yeah. But the the true value when you find yourself selflessly giving is when you're not looking for that pat on the back. Man, that's awesome. That's so good. Well, as we close out the podcast, something that I, the, the whole premise of the podcast is to focus and answer the question, what makes an Aggie great? And I know you've had you've been a lot around a lot of Aggie greats yourself. What characteristics do Aggie greats in your life experience or exhibit? Well, you've you've got to be honorable. I mean, to carry on in life through personal relationships, through business relationships, through the friendships you made here in A and M, or the friendships you'll make in the future. If you're not honorable, it will stand mm -hmm. out. It, people will see it, and the world's not as big as you think it is, and your reputation will get out ahead of you, and you will never recover from it yeah so being honorable being honest to yourself about who you are who you want to be is is extremely important and being there for for your friends for those that are maybe less fortunate being there to help them and not looking for something in return yeah, that's awesome i love that well thank you so much bj for coming on the podcast this has been an amazing conversation amazing story for those of you guys who are at home and listen to this we're so glad that you guys are here for another amazing episode and we'll see you guys next week as always, thanks and gig em. Thank you. Gig em.